on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. For I am still your comfort, saith the Lord. They that trust in me will not be disappointed. They that cast all of their care upon me shall find relief and shall find blessing for their soul. Trust me, I am your comfort. I am your lead. I am your guide. And I will care for you and be kind toward you and bless you with spiritual blessings through Jesus, our Savior. Would you give him praise and give him honor, give him glory in this house? You mean God has posted a guard at the door of my heart? Do you mean this God who is so merciful and loving and kind toward me has posted a guard at my heart? And you know what it is? It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, Lord, with expectant hearts and minds, we turn our attention toward your everlasting gospel, the word of the Lord that declares the way of salvation. I thank you, O Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we expect today to anoint his word. You said your word would not return unto you void, but it would accomplish the purpose whereunto it is sent. I pray, O Lord, that your purpose not my will or my purpose, but your purpose would be served in our hearing the Word of God today. And may the church hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Back in 1999, there was a nativity scene that was placed in the Daily Center in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I should say that like I learned how many years ago, Illinois. You can tell someone's from the South when they say Illinois. <laughs> it's got an S on it, but it is actually silent. And uh, I had to be corrected by Illinoisans, and they are annoying, Illinoisans, amen, and taught how to say Illinois. But at the Daily Center, they had a nativity scene there, and they had a real problem with the nativity scene because somebody kept stealing Jesus. They just never could keep a Jesus in the nativity scene. That every time they'd replace Jesus with another Jesus, someone would come and steal baby Jesus. So they organized what they called a God squad <laughs> to make sure that Jesus stayed in the manger and make sure that he never left the manger and no one ever they went through several people and caught several and pro prosecuted them on misdemeanor charges of theft. But the purpose was, we don't want you messing with Jesus. Leave Jesus alone. Don't bother Jesus. We want Jesus to stay in the manger. And I want to tell you, our adversary, the devil, would love to keep Jesus in the manger. Our adversary that we fight against would love for him to just remain a baby and uh, continue to just be an infant and not have any kind of impact or any kind of influence. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not in the manger anymore. He's no longer in the manger. Jesus got out of the manger. And thanks be to God, he's out of the manger. And thanks be to God, his whole life, his burial, death, burial, and resurrection, all are part of the redemptive provision. So then when considering uh, God's gift to this earth, it's not just the birth of a Savior, but it's the totality of his life and the completeness of everything he did for us in the redemptive provision. We must remember that. When that angel stepped out on the balcony of heaven and sang to the shepherds that were in shepherd's fields. Now, you do know what shepherd's fields are, don't you? That's where temple sheep were kept. These weren't just ordinary shepherds. And this wasn't just an ordinary shepherd's field. It was a special place where sheep were raised to be slaughtered in the temple. In other words, they were made to be sin, in other words. They were the ones that shed their blood, and uh, they were bought, 
and sold there in the marketplace in the, in the temple. And so these sheep were special sheep. And the shepherds that attended them were very special shepherds because they knew that they were raising sheep that would one day die for sin. Isn't that amazing? So it was to those shepherds that were in their field keeping watch over their flock by night that an angel appeared in the heavens and said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Somebody say great joy. Great joy. Can you say it with a little roll in your voice? Great joy. Yeah, like Tony the Tiger. Great joy. Amen. Great joy. This shall be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He, he will be a, a, a great emancipator. He'll be a deliverer. In fact, he will be a savior who is Christ the Lord. That was a lot of emphasis. And the Bible, and suddenly, I love those suddenlies in the Bible. You know, I love to preach about suddenlies. It's like on the day of Pentecost when suddenly, amen, the Holy Ghost fell where they were assembled. And suddenly there were with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host, and they were singing. I love it when heaven sings, don't you? They were singing in heaven, and they were singing, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Well, I've always said, if God says it, that settles it. I've always said, if God says for there to be peace, there's going to be peace. So I got to thinking and contemplating about that peace. The angel said, peace. This is a message of peace. And the intention of God is to bring about peace and uh, I often tell you there's over 120 wars going on right now on this planet. And I look at nations of the earth and families, and I look at churches, and I look at, and it seems like there's not a whole lot of peace. In fact, you have to search pretty hard if you find a peaceful person right now that's got total peace about everything. But I got to thinking that peace is a rare commodity because we are looking for something we have defined to be absence of harm, absence of any kind of hurt, absence of any kind of sorrow, absence of anything that annoys. And uh, would that be a pretty good definition of peace? No annoying, no hurt, no harm, no disease, no sickness, no pain, no, no disappointment. All is well, all is well. I love that song that we sing sometimes, It Is Well With My Soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? Is it well? Then if it's well, then you would have to say, then I have peace. I've made peace with God. You see, peace with one another and peace with God and the peace of God are all different things. All different things. They're different things. To have peace with God means you have settled the sin debt that was between you and God. To have peace with God means nothing between my soul and my Savior. Peace with God means I've accepted the fact that Jesus paid in full a debt that I could not pay. And when he paid it all for me, I no longer have that ordinances written against me. He took them out of the way. And he actually, Colossians says, Brother Mark, nailing our sins to his cross. Nailing everything that I had done that was wrong, everything that I had done as a transgression, a disobedience, a breach of the law of God, all of that, Jesus canceled it all and Jesus took it out of the way. The Bible said, so making peace. So making peace. Romans 5 and 1, therefore we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're justified by faith. Justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So when the angel stepped out on the balcony, he talked about, I give you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
peace was the name of their song. They were singing glory to God, peace on earth, and goodwill to men. Why then is this peace such a rare commodity? Why is it so hard to find in this world that we're living? It's because many, many millennia ago there was a garden. When God established the garden, he put peace in the garden. When God established the garden and said, Adam, you name everything, you rule over it, name every creeping thing, name every crawling thing, said, you have dominion over the earth and rule over the earth. And he said, I want you to have that rightful place. And there was absence of sin. There was no transgression. Oh, hallelujah. There was eternal health. There was eternal life. And what God created in the beginning was for man to live forever and the absence of everything that hurts and everything that annoys. What a heaven. You ask me sometimes, Pastor, what is heaven going to be like? If you can take away everything that hurts, if you can take away everything that is painful, everything that is sorrowful, everything that is injurious, everything that causes you pain and sorrow, everything that is that's harmful to you as, a, as a, a, a person, and you just take that all away, then that's what heaven is like. That's what heaven is. And what God created in the beginning all changed because we lost it. I said we lost it. What we did, we lost peace. We lost justification between ourselves and God. We lost righteousness. We lost right relationship with God. We lost our right standing with Him because, number one, we believed a lie. The Bible said the devil is a liar, and he's the father of lies. And what caused us all of this losing peace is we believed a lie. We believed a lie. The Bible said if you believe a lie, you will be damned. The Bible said in the last days the people would accept Antichrist. He said they would believe a lie and be damned. You see, we lose favor and lose peace when we start believing untruths untruths. In fact, the Bible said at the heart of all contention, there is nothing but untruths and lies and deceit. Amen. Isn't that awful that Satan has learned the way to get us? Easiest way to get us is tell us a lie. Tell us a lie. And brother, you can become very proficient at it quick. Cain, the first family, they lost their peace. Why? Because of jealousy. Jealousy. And when God came down, he said, Cain, what have you done? He said, I haven't done anything. He said, well, where is your brother? He said, I don't know anything about him. I'm not his nanny. So learning how to lie is part of that whole thing of losing peace. When you, when you, when you lose peace with God, you, you start pretending that you still have something you've lost. But I love to talk to you about what we lost because of one Christmas morning in Bethlehem we regained. Eternal life that we lost in the garden we regained in Jesus. Amen. And in Adam, the Bible said, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise God. As part of Adam's race, the curse of death, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's the penalty of believing the lie and losing our place of right standing with, with God. So then when man was driven out of the garden, the Bible said, from God's face I shall be hid. And Cain said, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt I be in the earth. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day, and from thy face shall I be hid. And God said at that time, he said, when you till the ground, you will earn your bread by the sweat of your brow and the toil of your back. Up until that time, God just provided whatever you needed to eat. Because we believed a lie, we lost all of that. 
and we now have to punch the clock. For the wages, 623 Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, but the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christmas gift, you can have peace with God. And Jesus said, it's not as man gives it, it's as God gives it. You see, when that angel said on earth, peace and goodwill to me, the NIV says, people of whom, on whom God's favor rests. People who have peace with God are people who have experienced God's favor. I love the way the message says it, Eugene Peterson's translation. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. In other words, those who please him are those who have his favor. And the Bible tells us that to please God is the ultimate goal of everybody. And he says that no soldier entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. Pleasing God brings his favor upon your life upon your home, your family, your marriage, your business, if you align yourself and your behavior and your conversation with God and the things that please Him, you'll find out peace can be found. Peace can be found. I didn't say that there won't be those things that are attached to the fall. They'll still be there. But you'll have a peace that passes all understanding. Hallelujah. A peace that passes all understanding. In other words, there are no books in any library that can describe the kind of peace that God gives to those who please Him because He gives them His favor and He gives them His blessing in their lives. Boy, that's good stuff. I like that. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8 says, For you are a people holy unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. I love this, his treasured possession. I told you last week that God loves you. I told you last week that God loves his family and that he's not ashamed of any member of his family. You remember that verse? We put it on the screen, and we read off the screen that God will never be ashamed of any of his sons and daughters, his children. Now, I know all of us have members of our family that we just kind <clears> of <throat> clear our throat when we bring that one up. But God doesn't have one in his family that he's ashamed of or embarrassed. Hallelujah. God loves his children and God cares about his children. Do his children sometimes do things that displease him? Well, don't yours? Well, how much more his? But God still blesses and loves his family, and he's not embarrassed at his family. The Lord, verse 7, did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. In other words, he didn't choose you because you were popular. He didn't choose you because everybody liked you. He didn't choose you because your bank account was sound and solid. He didn't choose you because you were numerous, more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people, why does God love the fewest? Why does God always bless the underdog? Why does God always touch the least likely, the most insignificant, the ones that you would pass over? He said, for you were the fewest of people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Psalm 105 says, he brought you out his people with rejoicing and his chosen ones with shouts of joy. 
And since that day of the declaration of those angels, has the nation of Israel been at peace? No. They're fighting for their lives every day. Israel is a, a nation of people that lives in a constant war zone. I remember when going over, one day I preached out at Margaret's uh, village in Abood. That, that, that village is on the West Bank. We went through some of those little villages that you see on CNN where they're shooting and rioting and bombing and everything on an old rickety bus. We rode through that little village of Ramallah on our way out to Abud. When Margaret started working with the school there in Abud, there were 17 Christian uh, churches on the West Bank. Now Abud is the only one. All the other 16 have failed and hers is still there. Yeah, that's something to clap for because she's one of those folks that has peace and got favor. Yes, she does. She has an amazing story. You need to hear her talk about prayers God has answered for her miraculously over the years and spared her. We were coming back, and of all things, we got short of diesel fuel, and we had to stop in Ramallah and get diesel fuel for that old bus. And brother, you're talking about a thousand eyes being on some Americans on a bus. Yes, sir, I prayed my heart out. I'm telling you, God, help us. Had to drag a hose from back in a building somewhere out there. Oh, it was so primitive. And when we pulled out and got back on the road to Jerusalem, praise God, you're looking at one happy preacher. But to live all of your lifetime under that kind of dread and that kind of worry and that kind of fear. One of the greatest signs that God's Word is true is the fulfillment of the prophecy of May 14th, 1948, the Balfour injunction that made Israel a nation. Because God said, I will gather them again in the last days. And since that time in 1948, prophecy has speeded up with such great rapidity. Up until 1948, it just kind of crept along real slow every now and then. But buddy, since 48, I mean, it's just every day, over and over, how prophecy has accelerated. But peace? No, they don't have any peace. <laughs> we were up there on the Lebanese border one, one day, and, and Sam, one of those soldiers, gave me his rifle. I, there's a picture around here somewhere. I need to dig that thing out, Eric, and put that thing up. I look pretty, pretty neat with an AK-47. He let me put his helmet on, and I had his, had his headgear on, and I had that, that gun, and I was standing there, you know, like James Arness, shooting up gun smoke. Well, needless to say, I gave it back to him and got on the bus, and we were back at Jerusalem at the Renaissance Hotel, all in that beautiful place, and I just turned on the news, you know, and I saw that they had killed some people up there on the border at Lebanon, and I got to scratching my head, and I said, I kind of believe that's where we were today. So I got on the phone, I called up, I said, Moiti, Moiti, did you see where those people were killed at the border, the Lebanese border today? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, didn't that upset you? L listen, pastor, he said, pastor. You're going to have to get used to this. You know, that happens every day around here. And I said, I want to ask you one question. That wasn't where we were today, was it? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? I was standing up there with my Uzi. And it wasn't playing games. It was for real. Woo! There's a constant spirit and attitude of war there in Israel. Have they ever had peace? 
no, probably not in this life until the Prince of Peace, glory to God, comes in Revelation 19:11, riding on that white horse, and out of his mouth there went a sword to smite the nations. Praise God. When that Prince of Peace comes, boy, that's going to be something. When the Apostle Paul used another construct to identify those upon whom this peace with God is bestowed. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, if you could put that up there for me, I'd like for all but our folks to see that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision. Now we all know about, about the Jewish covenant, the expression of covenant with God was circumcision. So they just looked at everybody as circumcision, uncircumcision. You either was or you weren't. And that's the way they, they looked at things. And these people looked at us and said uncircumcised. These uncircumcised people. But when, hallelujah, when Paul got involved in evangelism and missionary work, he found out that salvation was not just for those of the circumcision. He found out that Gentiles or the uncircumcision could be included in this grace and this peace. Remember that you in times past in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands. Next verse. That at that time ye were without Christ. Without Christ. In other words, he was telling these Gentile people, do you remember before Jesus? Do you remember before you came into contact with the gospel? You were called the uncircumcision by the people who are the, called the circumcision. And he said, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you weren't Jewish you weren't part of Abraham's seed. You weren't Abraham's children. You were outside the parameters of salvation. Ooh. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope. What does having no hope mean? Desperate. Destitute. Depraved. In other words, you can't do anything about your condition yourself. Do you realize, as my dad used to say, what a lost ball in high weeds we were? Lost, having no hope. Hopeless. Depraved. No way to elevate ourselves from that lowest state. Lost. lost. Isn't there a, that a hollow word? Does that word give you any inspiration when I say that, lost? No. Brother, when I say I lost my keys, I want you to know that's not a good feeling. Anything lost. So many souls lost at sea. Boy, what a terrible feeling. Lost. Lost. And having no hope. No expectation of things ever getting better. No looking forward to anything. No hope. Having no hope lost and having no hope. And here's the worst of it all. I'm without God. No way to get to God and lost having no hope and without God in this world. Are you ready to shout a little bit? Y'all are better than that congregation last Sunday. Y'all shouting a little more than they did. Next verse. Get ready. But now. But now. What's the difference in now and then? Christ. Christ. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. In Ephesians 2, the first of that chapter, he says, we were all lost in the, in the conversation of our flesh and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but God. What difference does God make? God who is rich in mercy. 
Oh, I'm so glad he's rich in mercy. I'm so glad he's a merciful God. I'm so glad he's a compassionate, loving God. God who is rich in mercy, rich in compassion, rich in loving kindness, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin, and quickened us together with Christ, and raised us up together with Christ, and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But Christ, but Christ, that made a difference because he is the peace speaker, and he is the peace giver. He's, he's the peace redeemer. He is the peace for every one of us because we depend upon him and who he is to give us right standing with God. Without Jesus, we're like a ship without a sail. Without Jesus, we're hopeless and depraved. Without Jesus, we have no expectation of doing anything better. My blessed Lord, the Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you're more numerous, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath that he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh. Psalm 105 and 43, he bought us, brought us out with shouts of joy. And since that day, praise God, we know what the peace of God is. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Peter said it in 1 Peter 2 and 9, you're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Peter's talking about people who have peace with God. It is suggested by the writers of pulpit commentary that during the time of Jesus' birth, which was around 4 B.C., that suggests that during this time there was approximately 70 years of peace, meaning that the Roman Empire was not at war with anyone. Is that what the angels were talking about? No, not really. We know that within two years of the birth of, of Jesus, King Herod murdered all the male babies in Jerusalem because he did not want a baby. He wanted to keep the baby in the manger. He didn't want the manger to get out. In Genesis 3 and 15, we talked about it last week, about the proto-evangelium, the first mention of Jesus. When the Lord said to, to Eve, he, he said, you will have pain in childbearing and sorrow in childbearing. And he said, and the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise the head of the woman. That mention of Jesus, that first mention of evangelism, lets us know that God's intention for all of us has always been that we would have peace with God. God wants to have peace with Could I tell you this? That the greatest desire in the heart of God is fellowship with you. Well, what in the world would God see in me that he'd want to fellowship with me? I don't know. Sorry. I don't know why he would want to fellowship with me. I don't know why he would want to fellowship with anybody because I don't understand his love. His love is so far above our love as far as the heaven is above the earth. We love people who love us. We love people that's easy to love. We do. We usually don't fool with folks that don't love us. We usually don't speak to, pray for, or mess with people that don't love us. We do them kind of like Jesus did uh, his enemies. You know, Jesus had some bad enemies. Pharisees, they called them. And one day his disciples was walking through a cornfield and it was Sabbath day and they reached over and pulled them an ear of corn and began to gnaw on that sucker. Well, some 
critical eyes, and there are always those. Went to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you know that your disciples plucked some ears of corn that's not theirs? And don't you know, Jesus, that it's Sabbath day and you're not supposed to be plucking ears of corn anyway? And you walking all this walking, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. And they come to Jesus and the disciples said, Lord, what are we going to do with them? And Jesus looked at them and said, leave them alone. I'd say that's pretty good advice. Somebody kicking up a fuss and making a scene, leave them alone. Oh, sorry, that just slipped out. Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you in verse 25 of 14, I believe it is, in John. These things have I spoken unto you, being present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So then the peace that God gives is some kind of peace that is attached to things that make us fearful. Occasions when we are traumatized or occasions when we're frightened about the outcome of something. And he says, don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled because my peace I give unto you. What kind of brand of peace are you talking about, Jesus? We found out that there's, uh, you weren't talking about wars and people fighting. Wasn't even talking really about Israel fighting. What peace is there other than this peace that nations have? We see them sit at the UN and talk about it, but they don't ever get much done. Isaiah 54 and 10. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills will be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Can I read that again? That sounded so good. I, I think I'd like to hear that again. For the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness, my kindness shall not depart from you. My kindness shall not depart from you. No wonder goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life because God's kindness will never depart from me. Well, praise God. That's exciting, isn't it? To know that God's kindness will never depart from me. God will never stop getting <laughs> praise and getting blessing and giving me his kindness. He'll never withdraw his kindness from me. God will always feel kind toward me. So then when the devil comes peddling some of that negative stuff that God doesn't care about you anymore, You've made so many mistakes. God has given up on you. You've messed it up so many times and fumbled the ball and made such a mess of everything till God is embarrassed at you and ashamed of you. He's done with you. Don't worry about him ever fooling with you again. Take him back to this verse and say, listen, the mountains may be removed. The hills may be dissolved. But God's kindness will never depart from me. Neither shall that covenant of my peace ever be removed. What God has done for me, he won't take back. What God has accomplished for me, it's going to always be that way. Saith the Lord that had mercy on you. In other words, we're not quoting this is what he says. Wow. Some time ago, one of my very good friends, he used to be the music minister at this church, 
a long time ago, Dennis Franks, one of my best friends in all the world. I had a brand new GTO. And I really loved that car. And he wanted to take Glenn Dean to a Eaton joint. And he said, Jerry, could I borrow your car? I really didn't have peace about it. <laughs> but it was so pitiful. I, I said, yes, but you be extra careful. So he took my car, Carlos, to take Glendine somewhere to get something to eat that night. And thank God it made it back in one piece. <laughs> one of my lifelong friends, some time ago he called me up and told me that the doctor had told him that he had cancer. And he had a tumor on his spine, and he was going to have to have surgery. And I just felt like quoting a scripture to him, and this is the one I quoted. It's in Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. Don't shrink back. Don't draw back. Don't cave in. Don't shrivel up. Glory. What is the other option, Brother Jerry? Earnestly contend for your faith. Persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promises of God. But we are not of those who shrink back. We're of those who believe and are saved. And when I finish quoting, I'll never forget what Dennis said. He said, how about that? Isn't that amazing how personally God loves us? I am a really blessed person. You mean a man that is expecting chemo? You mean a man that's going to go through radiation? You mean a man that is going to surgery to have a malignant tumor, tumor removed from his spine? Can say how incredible that is. That incredible peace that I feel. He continued on and made this statement. This strength, this incredible peace is coming down from the Father. He concluded with this, this statement to me before I hung up the phone. I want you to know that all is well and everything will be all right no matter what. You see, what I just demonstrated to you is that peace that that angel spoke of when he said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And that Prince of Peace said to us, My peace I leave with you. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I, I will say it again over. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God. Somebody say the peace of God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. 
You mean God has posted a guard at the door of my heart? Do you mean this God who is so merciful and loving and kind toward me has posted a guard at my heart? And you know what it is? It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. Wow. In this life, though wars and rumors of wars, through uproar and turmoil, sickness and disease, pain and suffering, through trials and tribulations, you can have peace. Because Jesus said, I want you to have peace. I, I leave it to you. I so many times quote scriptures about comfort when I, I'm doing a memorial service. Most of you have heard it after hundreds of funerals. You know my funeral message is pretty good. In Psalm 23, I often quote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down, leads me beside still waters. And we come down to a passage that says, Yea, though, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Rod, thy rod and thy staff. A shepherd, a rod, and a staff. A shepherd, a rod, and a staff, they comfort me. That when my heart is overwhelmed, when my spirit is crushed in me, when I have lost the dearest on earth to me, when I stand wounded, sorrowful, beat up, spiritually bruised and mangled from the fight, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When I've just heard the worst news I could possibly hear, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When I have just gone through the worst ordeal that a human can go through, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I want to tell you that that shepherd and that rod and that staff is God, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The word, the Hebrew word for rod is shebet, S-H-E-B-E-T, shebet. It actually means a scepter, and it is all about ruling and authority and power. The fact that Jesus is called the, the scepter lets us know that he is the one who has all authority. That he is the one who rules over everything. This scepter, this rod, this Jesus says, All power is given unto me, both in the heavens and in the earth. This scepter, this rod, this stem of Jesse, this rod of renown, this rod of authority and power speaks to winds and waves, and they obey him. When he looks into the teeth of the storm and feels the speed of the wind and the fierceness of its 
anger and its rage. He simply says, peace, be still. And they obey him. When disciples looked at this scepter, this Shabbat, and say, never a man spake like this man, for he spoke as one with authority. That this man on board a ship sleeps while a storm rages because he is Lord over the storm. He is authority. He is power over the violence of the waves and the wind. And when awakened, he simply says, Peace, be still. Wind, stop howling. Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. And the disciples said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? This scepter, this rod, this Shabbat stops funeral processions and walks over to a young boy, the only son of a widow woman mother. And Jesus says to the little boy, Arise and be healed and come alive. And the Bible said, and he woke up. This man who stops funeral processions and raises people from the dead, this Jesus who walks into the house of one of his disciples and his mother-in-law has died and he walks in and resurrects her back to life. This Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life, this scepter, this, this rod walks on the scene in Bethany and calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said that one who was dead comes in his grave clothes and Jesus says, loose him and let him go. A blind man sitting by the road at Jericho hears a commotion coming and says, what is that? And they said, that's that Jesus of Nazareth. Is he the one that opens blind eyes? Is he the one that unstops deaf ears? Yes, he is. Oh, Jesus! Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus touched his eyes, and the Bible said he began to see. Began to see. Who is this rod? Who is this scepter? Who is this Shabbat that causes elements to obey him, causes dead people to come to life, who walks in the pool of Bethsaida and sees a man lying on a cot and this rod, this scepter, this Shabbat says to him, Wilt thou be made whole? He said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And Jesus said, If thou wilt be made whole, arise and take up thy bed and walk. And immediately his ankle bones received strength, and he leaping up stood. Praise God, this Jesus who spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the, of the man that was sitting by the side of the road in John 9. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and came back seeing this Jesus who healed so many people that the Bible said if there all the books in every library all over the world cannot contain all that he did and all that he accomplished and all that he freed and all that he healed. In fact, the Bible said he went everywhere healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He is that rod, that, that Shabbat. He is that one that God said would come. Well, hallelujah. He is that rod that comforts me, that rod that comforts me, that rod that comforts me. When old Jacob was lying on his deathbed in Genesis 49 and 10, he said, that rod, said, Judah, you're the king tribe, and out of that tribe of Judah shall Shiloh come. O Bethlehem, Micah said, though thou art least among all the, all the sons, out of thee shall a Savior come, a rod, a scepter. And he said, the scepter, the Shabbat, shall not depart 
until Shiloh comes. Glory be to God, that rod that comforts me is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Balaam looked forward and he said, I see a distant ruler and he's called Shabbat. He's called the rod. Hallelujah. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Glory to God. That scepter that shall not depart, that rod is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And in Psalm 23, that rod, he said, they comfort me. Hey, does anybody have a comfort today who is called Jesus? Is Jesus in your heart? Is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus in residence in your life? And is he in your heart? Then I want to tell you there's a scepter. There's one ruling. I said there's a ruler. There is a king that's living in your heart. Hallelujah. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. For he shall save his people from their sins. Can you put up Hebrews 1 and 8 for me, Eric? Hebrews 1 and 8. Hebrews 1 and 8. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. For I am still your comfort, saith the Lord. They that trust in me will not be disappointed. They that cast all of their care upon me shall find relief and shall find blessing for their soul. Trust me, I am your comfort. I am your lead. I am your guide. And I will care for you and be kind toward you and bless you with spiritual blessings through Jesus, our Savior. Would you give him praise and give him honor and give him glory in this house? Hallelujah, hallelujah. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. A Shabbat, a Shabbat of righteousness. Next verse. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Praise God. I want to tell you, God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness. God anointed Jesus. The Bible said in 1038, Romans 1038, Acts 1038, now God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. That throne, that scepter, all is about that rod. Praise God. Let me hurry because i got to get those other two. Luke 1 and 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a time in heaven, Revelation 5, 5. When they sought for someone worthy to take the book and loose the seals. And no one was found worthy. And John wept because no one was worthy. But the Bible said we sang a song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God of every people, language, tongue, and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign with him upon the earth. He is that branch, that branch of Jesse, that seed of, of the Messiah, the Messianic seed. Stand with me, please, and I'm going to try to land this plane. What does the staff represent, Pastor? The Hebrew word is mishanah, and it means support of every kind. It means to lean on. We've got a rod, a shabbat, and we've got a mishanah. We've got a staff to lean on. Has there ever been any time in your life when you couldn't make it by yourself and you had to lean on 
Have you ever had to lean on the Word of God? Have you ever had to lean on the Holy Spirit? When the Bible calls Him a comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, thy rod, Shabbat, and thy staff, something to lean on, comforts me. Comforts me. It actually means the Holy Spirit that supports us and guides us and leads us under the truth. Hallelujah. Paul said, when I preach, I lean on something. He said, my preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but said, my preaching is in demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, when I start preaching, I just start leaning. When I start preaching, I just start leaning. Just leaning on the Holy Ghost. What's that old song we used to sing? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Hallelujah. Shabbat is a rod. Mishanah is a staff to lean upon. Then who is the shepherd then, Brother Jerry? Who is that shepherd? Let me do this and then I'll be through, I promise. Could I tell you that our faithful God is the shepherd of our souls? That he cares about us and he loves us and takes care of us, sees to it that nothing harms us. In Ezekiel 34 and 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold I, even I, will both search my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will deliver them. Woo. I will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the dark day. God will search for me. God will not leave me. He'll go looking for me. That God will come to me. Isaiah 4 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. And his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. Can you see the tenderness of God right here? Can you see the care and the loving kindness of God? Listen to what he said. He tends his flock and he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. You mean God gathers up the lambs and holds them close to his heart and cares for them and loves them and is tender and kind to them? And listen to this. You women will love this. And he carries them close to his heart and he gently leads them that have young. Wow. God searches for and gathers up and he gently leads. What does that mean? That Hebrew word means he is careful and attentive to the needs of the one who is being led. Did you know God knows not to go too fast for you? And God knows not to get the ground too rough for you and God knows what you can handle and what you can't handle what you need and what you really have to have God knows all that and takes into consideration you know I, I walk fast and I'm, I do things fast and one of the complaints that the kids always always had about me and Debbie especially would you quit walking so fast? We don't have that. In, we don't have that gate. Have you ever prayed, Lord, slow down just a little bit? We're going so fast here. And the Bible said that God is aware and knows what you need. 
knows what you need. The Lord walked ahead of Israel in a pillar of fire and a cloud. In closing, we used to sing a song, Some through the fire, some through the flood, some through great trial, but all through the blood. You remember that? And the title of that is, He Gently Leads Us Along. He gently leads us along. I'm glad that he leads in paths of righteousness, aren't you? And what I want you to take home with you is that rod, Jesus, and the staff, the Holy Spirit, and the shepherd, who is God, all three, the Bible said, comfort you. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Praise God. If, if Christmas can do anything for you this year, I hope it brings you peace. 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 This world needs peace, doesn't it? It needs peace. I want to pray for you out there that are watching online. You maybe didn't get to sit in this building today, but I think you feel that same spirit that is in this house, that God cares about you and God loves you. Could we all pray for our folks this morning that are watching? There are some of them that are sick. Some of them are in nursing homes. Some of them can't get out. But I know that God's able to touch them right where they are. Would you pray with me? God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person that's watching right now online. They've heard this pastor preach. They felt this anointing. They felt this gladness and this worship. And I thank you that their heart has heard the word of God. I ask you to touch their bodies, God, those that are sick and those that are suffering. I ask you to minister to them and heal them. Encourage their heart and strengthen them and lift them up. Help them today, oh God, I pray. Touch everyone, Lord, that it's our duty to pray for. So many of our friends, Lord, are struggling with COVID. Many of my pastor friends are really struggling today. And I ask you to touch them, God, and help them and lead them. Go with us, Lord, from this place of worship to our homes and our families and our jobs tomorrow. And may we, oh Lord, be light and salt in this world. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You're dismissed.